It's a blessing and a pleasure to be with you today. I do hope you had a blessed and Merry Christmas. And I know, like Tim said, holidays and Christmas can bring a lot of feelings. I hope the overwhelming feelings that we're getting are Emmanuel, God with us, the presence of God, that that baby Jesus with us and the hope he gives. And, and when we try to figure out why, why would God do that? Well, it leads us to John 3, 16, doesn't it? For God so loved the world. It, it is the love of God that we uh, are blessed with at Christmas time. And uh, we do celebrate that on 25th of December, but that's, that's a reality every day of the year. But the truth is, we don't always feel the presence the same every day of the year, do we? Some days are harder than other days. Some days are different, and that leads us to the book of Job. I um, teach at Missouri Baptist University, and I teach uh, Old and New Testament. I think I'm a pretty easy teacher. Uh, my final exam is real easy. My final exam, I ask my students three questions. Uh, what book of the Old Testament do you identify with, stood out to you the most, and which Old Testament character uh, do you identify and what did you learn and then sort of what was the big spiritual lesson that you got, uh, got out of the semester. First semester I taught, I was shocked because overwhelmingly Job was the book they kept pointing to. Now in my class, uh, they read and journal on 50 chapters of the Old Testament, but Job isn't one of them. Uh, and it was uh, very shocking to me. I think I've taught Old Testament nine times now and it shocks me less. But these young people identify with Job. And uh, you know, on the one hand, they're, they're young and they're energetic and they're attractive. Uh, I drove a 1977 Pinto when I went to Mobap, and man, almost all of them have a better car than I had. They got cell phones and computers and all this, and I'm, Job, really? But, but you know, the other side of that equation is, as a culture, as we continue to walk further away from God, uh, it has consequences. It has consequences on our young people. I get to read their journals, uh, which I considered a huge blessing to read the journals of my students. And um, my students, many of them are from broken families. My students, so many of them, and they're very open in their journals, they suffer from anxiety. Many of my students uh, have the grief of a friend or someone near to them who's taken their own life because of a sense of hopelessness. I, um, I have students, a lot of them from, uh, from St. Louis. They come to Mobap to play sports, and I'm glad they do. Many of them have had family members shot, in some case shot and killed in front of their eyes. One student of mine's best friend was shot and killed because he got into a parking place that the other guy wanted to get into, and so the guy shot him. And you know, as I read their journals, I'm like, you know what, I get it. The, this young generation, they are uh, attractive and they are smart and, and wonderful, but they suffer. And so, I would like to consider the book of Job together. The book of Job invites us to ask some, some hard questions that we all deal with and that we, we do uh, all ask together.
excuse me, let me get my, I've got my little cheat sheet and then I've got my official. I'm so glad Pastor Ryan put the pulpit up here for me. Because he knew of that little table, I wouldn't be able to see down there. Um, do y'all know Michael Card? You may know him as a singer. Uh, Michael Card also has written several books, and he has a book on lament called A Sacred Sorrow that I've been reading and rereading. One of the things Michael Card says is this. We are all born into a world we were not really made to inhabit. We were created for God, made to flourish in the comfort of the presence of our Father within the warm context of his undeniable loving kindness. That's what we were made for. And we do feel that at times. But ultimately, we're going to get that in heaven, which is where our real home is. In this world, we often miss this, and we often wonder, God, where are you? Well, the book of Job, uh, I'm going to try my best. But you know, you guys missed Sunday school today, so uh, you know, I figure you get a little extra here. It's a long book. It's 42 chapters. Um, in the very, very first verse, we're told that Job is a man who is God-fearing. He is blameless. He loves the Lord with all of his heart. We're then talk, uh, told about his riches and his wealth, which is in uh, donkeys and camels and sheep and in goats. We're told that God blessed him with ten children. And the scripture goes out of the way to tell us how much this man loves his kids. Now, we don't do animal sacrifices today, but Job did every day for his kids. It would be like a father today who just has worn his knees out on a daily basis crying out and praying for his children because he loves them so much. And then when we come to verse 6, and I invite you to look with me in Job chapter 1, verse 6, we come to another scene which is uh, a bit unusual perhaps. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the works of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Twelve. The Lord said to Satan, Very well, then everything. He has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. A, a fascinating thing to read about. It's like a roll call in heaven. And, and uh, the more I read the book, I have more questions. Uh, what's Satan doing in heaven is the thing we might talk about. Uh, and why is God bringing up Job? And I have a brother who's a pastor, and he's pretty smart. And I'm like, Dave, how do I 
how do you describe this event? Is it, it's not a game for sure. Is it a contest? What is this? What's happening? And I asked my wife and some other smart people, and I happen to have a little girl who's just really smart. And I asked my Janie girl, what is this? And uh, she was my, when I didn't understand things in class, she'd always clarify it for me. And Janie said, uh, Dad, it's a competition. It's a challenge. God is challenging Satan, and Job is God's champion. I thought, yeah, that, that's about right. And uh, I'm so glad that I'll never be confused to be the most blameless person on earth, because if this is what being God's champion means, I don't think I want any part of it. But that's what is happening here. Job is God's champion. One thing I must point out, what's happening in heaven, when you read throughout the whole book, there's never a time where God sends an angel or God himself comes to Job and say, hey, uh, Job, I know life is super hard right now, but you know what? There's this uh, challenge going on and you're my champion, and that's what's happening. It, it never happens in the book. In, in fact, suffering often is that way, isn't it? Suffering is, I think, the hardest when we don't have a clear picture and we don't understand what's happening. You remember uh, earlier this winter in November, we had a snowstorm that was then followed by uh, an ice storm. In just one of my classes at school, from that ice storm, one student slipped on the ice, hit her head, and had a concussion. A second student was rear-ended twice on the way to class. A third student's grandfather's car went off the ice and he was killed in the accident. And in all of those cases, uh, it would be right to say uh, God is sovereign and he could have intervened and that's true. But you know, in all of those cases, there's a common denominator, isn't there? If it wasn't for the ice, I wouldn't have fallen and hit my head. If it wasn't for the ice, I wouldn't have been rear-ended. Sometimes we can look at suffering, it makes sense, but often... That's not the case. And for Job, this was clearly not the case. Well, after Satan goes from the presence, and by the way, Satan's name means one who is opposed. Uh, opposing God in his ways. Satan goes from the presence of God, and you may be familiar with the story. Uh, in, in a moment, neighboring tribes come and attack all of Job's possessions, and they go off with his camels, in his goats, in his donkeys. All of his servants are killed except for one in each case who flees with his life to report to Job. One of the cases which may have been very confusing to Job were the sheep, I believe. The servant came and said, Job, Job, fire from heaven came and consumed all your sheep and your servants, and I'm the only guy to survive and come. And after being informed that all of his wealth was gone... All of his children were together in the home of the oldest child on that day, and wind came and hit the house and knocked it down. And the children that he loved with all of his heart, all of them in an instant, were taken from him. This is a biblical narrative, but this, is, this was a man. This was a real man. And we learn from Job I learned from Job, how does one respond 
to suffering, every time I read it, I think, how did you do this, Job? In verse 20 of chapter 1, at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised in all of this. Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. How do we respond to suffering, church? What do we learn from Job? He, he does more than one thing, but the initial thing he does is he worships God. He, he is that closely connected to his relationship with God. That's his go-to. He goes right to God. In chapter 2, the scene in heaven is, uh, is repeated almost identically. There, there's a meeting in heaven. The angels are there. Satan is there. God asks Satan again, uh, hey, where have you been? I've been walking back and forth on the, on the world. And God again asks Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. I think it's a little bit of an I told you so. I think it's a little bit, Satan, I told you. Job doesn't love me just because I give him stuff like you claim. Job loves me because he knows me and he loves me. And I know him and I love him. Satan's response, skin for skin. God, you didn't let me mess with the man himself. God, if you let me mess with his physical body, with his physical condition, surely he will curse you to your face. Uh, and God says, okay, he's in your hands, but you can't take his life from him. When you read in chapter 2, Satan comes and he inflicts terrible, terrible suffering upon Job from the top of his head. So the soles of his feet are open wounds and he's sitting uh, in sackcloth and a pile of ashes and he's got a broken piece of pottery and he's trying to get some kind of relief from his pain by scratching his wounds. You know, the devil is so mean. The only family member he didn't take away from Job was his nagging wife. That guy. And it was a strategy because he knew the nagging wife was going to come to Job and say, hey, are you still holding to your integrity? His, his wife says, curse God and die. And faithful Job answers and said, Am I supposed to receive blessings from God and, and not difficulty from God? I'm not like that. And he remains faithful. And, and so I, I see at least three responses to suffering from Job. There is worshiping God, which Michael Carter, who he's a really wise guy, he says we really can't worship without suffering. Suffering and lament lead us to this need, this thirst, this longing for God. He worships God. He, he uh, has his foundation in God when his wife is telling him to curse God and die. And he gets a little more real. 
And chapter 3 is a whole poem about how he wishes he would never be born. And when you read further into the book of Job, understandably so, he is on an emotional roller coaster. And sometimes he makes statements of faith that seem impossible. How can he have such faith? And other times he seems as real as he can be where he is questioning the goodness of God. But in all of this, he doesn't sin. In all of this, he turns to God and not away from God. In chapter 2 of Job, Job has three friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they come to support their friend when they hear of his suffering. I think these guys really love Job because when they see him, even from a distance, it's like they can't even recognize him. And, and they tear their clothes and they're weeping and they go and they sit in the dirt with Job and they don't say anything for seven days. I think you can call that the ministry of presence. I think it's another lesson we can learn sometimes when we don't know what to say or what to do. We can be with a friend who's suffering. Uh, in 1989, I went as a, a single for two years to Kenya uh, to be a two-year missionary called the, the Journeyman Program. And I had four young men I was mentoring. Uh, one of these young guys, Anthony Irungu, his father was uh, pretty high in, in police work. And he took his own life, which in Kenya almost never happens. And um, this is my first... The actual burial was somewhere else far in, in Kenya, the home, but it was my first uh, kind of funeral experience. And I remember Kiki and the other guys came and said, we need to go to Irungu's house. And I, I remember asking, well, should I bring flowers or a card or food or money? What should I bring? They said, you don't bring anything. I said, okay. And we went to Irungu's house, and it's a, a humble house, but I bet uh, about the size of this room there are that many people just sitting all around all around outside, and, and no one really saying anything. And we went and sat on a ledge for hours. Uh, and I kept asking Kiki, Kiki, I, I haven't seen Anthony. I want to see him. He said, we don't do that. Okay, what do we do? We sit. I said, okay. And we sat for a long time. And I said, Kiki, I've never met Anthony's mom. Can I go pray with her? We don't do that. Okay. And, and we sat for hours, and we sat into the night, and then they uh, brought a meal to everybody and fed everybody. And Kiki said, now we go. And I said again, can I meet his mom and pray for him? No, we don't do that. And I, we were just uh, together. Together as a community, saying we hurt with you and we love you. The ministry of presence, which is one of the things we love most about God, isn't it? His ever-presence with us. And we can be a minister like God in that way. Uh, that is where Job's friends get it right and do very well. As you continue reading in the text and you think of his friends, the, the, the old saying, uh, with friends like those who needs, yeah, enemies kind of comes up. Because for about the next 30 chapters, they're going to discuss and they want to figure all of this out. 
They say it in different ways, but their worldview is you reap what you sow, or retribution theology. And while Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar all say it a little differently, what they're all saying is, man, Job, we have never seen anybody suffer like you. Dang, what did you do? And poor Job, his best friends become his judges. And, and it's, he's almost like a, a defendant in court. And as the dialogue continues, and the more you read, they start making up potential crimes that could be evil enough to match his suffering. In chapter 6, Job finally says, if I'm guilty, point it out. You're my three best friends. You know me better than anybody. What have I done? And of course, they can't. In chapter 9, Job has to admit, only God is holy and perfect. I can't tell you I'm a perfect man, but my suffering does not match the way I love God and what I've done. And in chapter 10, Job is again longing for the grave. To me, this section of the book I call the problem of many words. Proverbs 10.19 says, where words are many, sin is not absent. We had this almost exact discussion at my house with Anthony Irungu and the other three guys we were mentoring. We all got together to try to figure out why Anthony's father would take his own life. And it was one of the worst things I've been involved in. Because you could just see Anthony sinking and sinking and sinking. Sometimes it's hard to know the right thing to say. And I think, church, sometimes presence and hugs and praying for them. I just don't think we can do better than that. In chapter 19, I'll tell you about it rather than take time to read it. There's a lot of great things in verse 23 to 27. One of, uh, one of Job's friends says, Job, you're so wicked, your name will be blotted from the earth and you won't even ever be remembered by anybody. And Job actually has a prayer. He's saying, oh, that, that my story would be written down. And then he kind of goes on to say, I wish it'd be written down with like lead ink so it would be permanent. His his heart is just crying out. I don't want to die like everybody thinking I hated God and did terrible things. I want it written down that I love God with all my heart. And I thought, how wonderful is that? Here's the answer to his prayer. God is awesome. I actually, I just love that. And, and then Job goes on to make this statement about God, which seems to be a post-incarnate Jesus' New Testament understanding of God, Job says, you know, once my flesh is, is decayed, and I, I th think he's thinking that's like going to happen any time. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. And he is going to stand on this earth right there with me. And somehow in that day, everything's going to be okay. The faith of this man is, is amazing. He always turned to God, whether he was questioning or crying. His faith was phenomenal. 
I remember um, around 2000, we worked with the Digo people, uh, an unreached people group of Muslims in Kenya. And we had one particularly really tough season. I was having malaria all the time. There were a group of thieves going through our neighborhood, not just stealing, but breaking into the homes and cutting the man up with machetes. They'd already uh, been breathing threats against us. One of our neighbors snuck into our house and stole all of our Kenyan shillings and American dollars. Uh, my wife, MJ, was sicker than I've ever seen her. She, she was, couldn't walk. She was just bedridden, and I've never seen her like that. The local doctor couldn't help her. All the flights to Nairobi were booked, and I called our, our mission guy and said, man, can you, get, uh, can you get a missionary airplane down here and get MJ to Nairobi? She needs medical attention. And he said, you know how much that would cost? Of course, I didn't care how much that would cost. I was concerned about my wife. He said, well, I'll, I'll check and I'll get back with you, which he did not. And um, I remember that night... Uh, do an angry praying. Just kind of pacing outside. Uh, God, what in the heck? Where are you? Why am I here? Why are my kids here? And, uh, I remember a comment I made was, God, I guess I really believe in you. You know, it's kind of a tipping point in my prayer. My circumstances didn't change. But somehow in my confession and my belief in God, uh, that mattered more than, I guess, my suffering. You know, about a third to a half of the Psalms in the Bible, did you know they're laments? They are laments of crying out to God. And they're mostly two questions. One is, God, where are you? And the other question sort of is, God, if you are loving and kind, how could this happen? Did you know with the exception of one of those Psalms, all of them turn into praise and worship of God? All of them. Which is exactly what happened to Job. My students that uh, love this book, they say a lot of different things about the man or the book. Do you know what a lot of them, I guess the majority say, uh, you know, I didn't know you could talk to God like that. I didn't know you could cry out to God. I didn't know you could complain to God. I didn't know you could question God. I think that's part of why they love the book is they learn you can say just about anything to God. God wants you to go to him. And in this young generation, sadly, so many when suffering hits, they choose to turn away from God. Intense suffering turns you one way or the other, doesn't it? May God help us to, to turn to him in times of suffering. Well, somewhere around chapter 37, 
Job just almost makes a demand of God. Come on, God, you, you've got to come before me and tell me what's happening here. And God does so in chapter 38 to 41. God shows up in his person in a storm. In a storm, he shows up to talk to Job. Now, I know all of you, uh, at least I think all of you, love Jesus and the St. Louis Cardinals. Do you remember Matt Holliday who played for the Cardinals? Do you, do you remember like his arms are bigger than my two legs put together? And do you remember on one of his arms, he had a Bible verse written. That's from Job. I think that's on my little cheat sheet here. It's 38.4. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. God does show up to Job at his request, but he doesn't tell Job about the... Uh, that Job was his champion in the challenge to Satan. He does not explain to Job the reasons for his suffering. God kind of takes Job on this virtual tour of the universe, showing him how the sun rises and sets and all the complexities of the stars. Uh, he even talks about sea turtles and how they know right where to go in the sand to put their eggs and come back out in the ocean. He ends it talking about these two creatures, a land creature and a sea creature. And that's God's answer to Job. And it leaves Job in a place of humility. It leaves Job in a place where he's saying, okay, you're God and I'm not. And it seems that God is saying, you know, Job, uh, things are just more complex than you understand. And Job, what I'm asking is for you to trust me. Instead of trying to figure everything out, would you believe me? Would you trust me? And I think that's a good word for us. I know we want to understand everything. A lot of times we say we'll understand it all in heaven. You know, there's no pain in heaven, so I'm not really sure if we'll understand everything in heaven. It'll be okay in heaven. Everything will be okay. I don't know what your 2019 looks like. Uh, you all seem like real normal people, which means there must be suffering along with the blessings. And we don't know what's ahead in 2020, but I hope and pray that we will run to God in times of suffering. Chapter 42 is the last chapter in the book. It seems like most people emphasize the very end, and it's good news. Job gets all of his uh, animals, I think more animals and cows and donkeys and sheep back. He's blessed with more children, and that's good. Now, these things weren't taken away from him because they were bad, so they're not really given to him, I guess, because he's good, but God is gracious and a good God, and he blesses Job. But you know what I really like in this? Uh, Job just wants the world to know that he really loves God and he's not an evil person. And you know what God does for Job in chapter 42? He actually goes to Job's friends and say, you were wrong about me. You were wrong about my servant Job. Job's the guy that's been faithful. And God made Job a 
priest and had Job pray for the three friends who've been pointing their fingers in accusing him of all this wrongdoing. And it's like he gave Job his name back. And I love that about the way the book ends. A lot of us are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, and it, it has a lot of stories of individuals. And then sort of at the end, it says, well, you know, it's not time to tell you about Samson and Brock and all these other guys. And then it has a long list of how they shut the mouths of lions and they defeated their enemies with the sword. And then there's another list of uh, they were sawn in two and stoned and they lived in caves and in hiding. But you know what mattered about all these men and women of faith? It, it wasn't whether they won or lost or what they did, but they all remained faithful until they died. And that's why they're in Hebrews chapter 11. I, uh, I have a, a good friend who's about my age, and her kids are about my age. She has five kids. And um, she has a, an exceedingly rare connective tissue disease. And um, the doctors can't really tell her what's in front of her because uh, there haven't been enough people with this sickness to, to sort of make a forecast of what life would be like for her. It's been going on for years. And she had been on a feeding tube, but her body is no longer able to function that way, and she's no longer on the feeding tube. And uh, I was with her in the hospital, and what she said to me was, uh, I hate the thought of leaving my precious children and my husband. And then she said, but you know what? I trust God. Uh, and I stood there in her hospital room, and I, in my heart I'm saying, God, this is Job. My favorite teaching of Jesus, I think, is when he says that his Father in heaven knows when a sparrow falls from the sky. He sees and he's concerned. And he goes on to say, you are far, far more precious to God than a sparrow or any animal. Church, God is inviting us to trust him. I know there are preachers who are out there who will say, if you'll love Jesus, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise and won't have any problems. It's just not what's written in this book. It's not real. I think this book says, if you love Jesus, problems are going to be there. I think problems are there whether you love them or not. It's better to suffer as a Christian. Church, may we turn to God rather than run from him when life doesn't make sense and we don't know the answers. May God help us not to have to know why all the time, but to know him and to find relief and comfort in his presence, which is always there for us. Let's pray together. God, you're so faithful. You're so loving. God, I thank you for this man, Job, who um, teaches me and teaches us. 
when life doesn't make sense and we wonder where you are rather than to run from you or to try to figure it out, may we worship you and may we stand and stay true to you, God. And God, if we're going to cry, let us cry out to you instead of to go somewhere else. God, may we all be faithful to you like those in Hebrews chapter 11 until the day we die. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.